And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest, freshest, deep-down things. That's Gerard Manley Hopkins from his well-known poem, God's Grandeur. Welcome to Deep Down Things, a podcast partnership of Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. Join us for a deep dive into everything from literature, history, art, to philosophy and science as a way of discovering and sharing the depths of God's grandeur together. Hi, welcome to Deep Down Things. I'm Dave Devil. I'm a professor of Catholic Studies at the University of St. Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Liz Kelly, managing editor and all-around wonderful person, speaker, writer, uh, and indeed sometimes baker and cook. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to say that because Don't she sometimes bake. says, well, Never bake. well, okay. <laughs> But every time I come over to visit, bake up she, stories. she makes about, she makes great stuff. She feeds the soul <laughs> and, and the person. Liz, how are you? I'm great. How are you, my friend? We are doing well here. And I'm, I'm really pleased to have with us for today's episode, Dwight Lindley, who's a professor of English at Hillsdale College in, in Michigan. Dwight is a great scholar and a great guy. I think the last time I saw Dwight was about two years ago at the canonization of St. John Henry Newman. I bumped into him at, I believe it was St. Monica's Church. Dwight, was that right? That sounds right. (laughs) It was utterly unexpected. Yeah, it's uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, and also when in Rome, run into your friends, so. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome, how how are you? Um, I'm doing very well, happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, thank you, this is, uh, it's a wonderful story that, uh, or a wonderful article that you've done for us about the nature of story and the incarnation. But could you give us a little bit of a sense of your background and the things that, that you do? Sure. I'm from Texas. Uh, I went to college here at Hillsdale College and then went to graduate school in Texas at the University of Dallas and then just happened to get a job back here. <laughs> Uh, when, when I had finished my PhD, I did my PhD in in uh, in English literature, but it's a it's an interdisciplinary program, and so I studied philosophy and politics as well. And and really, my my uh, scholarship has been largely about philosophical questions in literature or about literature, philosophical and and theological, really. And and so this this article that I wrote for the the most recent issue of Logos is really, uh, you know, just trying to think philosophically about uh, certain questions basic to literature. It's one of our favorite articles. I think all of the editors agreed, and I think in part because it expresses so well what sits at really the foundation of Catholic studies, that is, what difference does the incarnation Make and mm. uh, and the fact that you uh, apply it the way that you do in your article was just exceptionally well done. Um, tell Thank us a you. little bit about this article. Well, I wrote it. Um, I wrote it in in a way that I often write articles. I mean, it started as a a, a lecture that I gave to my students on the first day of class on. When I teach upper-level lit classes, I mean, as I do every year, I, I usually start by asking a, a big question 
um, often some some permutation of the question, what is literature and why do we read it? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what are we doing right now kind of question. And I do this so that they can get some grounding and be able to give a better account of themselves as students of literature. And, and also just to get my own feet under me better. And so I wrote this first as a lecturer in that setting to explain certain basic um, features of literature, such as the way that, you know, what characters are, the, what, how do they work, and, you know, what plots are and how do they work. And then, but then also to look, look a little bit at the, at the history of how plot and character have developed in the West, um, philosophically, but also under the pressure of, of the, the incarnation, as you said, mm. uh, because I think it's made a, an enormous difference in, in ways that we don't often understand. Yeah, your title is Intelligibility and Transcendence in Narrative. And I mean, one way of, one way of simplifying your article is that perhaps before the incarnation, the stress was on the intelligibility, at least if we look at somebody like Aristotle's view. What, how, how does Aristotle understand uh, what intelligibility means for, for plot and characters? Sure. Well, in the Poetics, Aristotle's book about his treatise, a kind of unfinished treatise on literature and art, he, he says that you want, <laughs> you want to have a kind of unity uh, to, to the work of art, to, a unity to a story, a plot, and you get that. He, he describes it as uh, the beginning leading naturally to the middle, which leads naturally to the end. Right, right. <laughs> and a very pithy way of saying that you want the whole thing to flow and, and to have a kind of common sense, organic development. And and he, he shows that uh, you get that by having characters who make choices that flow from who they are, you know? Yeah. Basically, uh, you want to have a sense that when um, Oedipus, which is the example that Aristotle uses most frequently, Oedipus or Odysseus or, or later Hamlet, I mentioned in, my, in the article, mm -hmm. and, and whoever else you want to choose, you want to have a sense that they're choosing, the choices that they make and the things that they say come out of who they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be an integrity there. And so if you have this, if you have, if you have who they are leading to what they choose, and then that choice, those choices flowing into the outcomes of the story, then you have integrity, you have unity. Beginning leads to middle, leads to end. And the whole thing feels real, yeah. Aristotle says. And so that's the kind of, that's what I was driving at for intelligibility. Um, yeah. And it's that not that sense. we lose that after the incarnation. Sure. I mean, it's a it's a bigger oh, unity. Not at all. Mm -hmm. But but you know, if we if we think of transcendence as what's gained, uh, what do you mean by transcendence when we talk about a plot or characters? What 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 is that sort of complicating factor? Sure, that's the that's really the second part of the of the, of the essay, and and as you say, I, I don't want to say at all that you lose the the ideal of intelligibility but just that it's complicated um and so the basic idea there is that when you that, that the bible and the that the bible and and christian revelation broadly um shifts our expectation of, of what 
human nature is mm -hmm. and thus of the, the kinds of stories you tell about humans um, mm -hmm. change and, and, and shift some. Not that they don't make any sense anymore, but that, I mean, the important thing is that they have a kind of mystery um, at the heart of them, which we, we need to see that because, <laughs> because uh, the Bible uh, and Christian revelation itself has, has stressed this um, as a, a deep part of our reality. And there's a mystery uh, at, at the heart of what it means to be a person and a mystery both of good and of evil, um, mystery of, of our loves, um, mm -hmm. the way that God, that God draws us and calls us just, you know, with infinite delicacy and intimacy um, at the heart of things. But then also the, the mystery of iniquity, as St. Paul calls it. Um, you know, th these are just realities that, um, yeah. that the New Testament, I mean, it's really the whole Bible, but, you know, especially the New Testament emphasizes in which we come to, we, we come to expect um, when we when we look to stories, um, and so this this complicates, I say in the article, complicates um, our expectations of narratives of goods of good stories, and and it makes us expect not only for things to make sense, but also for there to be an a way in which paradoxically they also stretch beyond our sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and and so the paradox I was trying to outline is just that we kind of expect both of those. Yes. If if we don't, if it doesn't both make sense and escape our capacity to comprehend at the same time, it doesn't quite feel real. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that's really fascinating. Yeah, you talk about the mystery of the heart showing itself in the positive and the negative. Later on, you say, in the deepest sense, we are our love or loves. So the drama of character is necessarily the drama of the unfolding of love. Beautiful line. I think I'll steal that. I'll credit you, but yeah. I might use that at some point. Um, and, and you say, in contrast to that, that Aristotle's anthropology is at least in a little bit of trouble, but that this Christian reimagination of, in, in terms of love, adds a deeper layer and not only just complicating things, but again, as you say, adding that that note of mystery, thus the transcendence. That's right. Uh, I mean, I see it almost as as uh, you know a ship on the ocean. Um, everything makes <laughs> everything that you're doing on the ship and the, the 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 course that you're charting. There's a kind of explicit teleological understanding that you you know you can understand where we're going in the ship and everything that's happening on it and, and the weather and everything but we're on we're we're floating on the ocean <laughs> mm -hmm. which is this enormous uh depth dimension of life and this is the way our lives are you know we we understand what's happening at some level all the time uh, and yet there are these there are these forces at work inside of us that are just you know, oceanic in their mm -hmm. uh, in their breadth uh, and their and their and their mystery, and uh, it's just a both and. You know, sure. like it so often is, and it has to have that to correspond to the grandeur and greatness of God <laughs> as mystery. Oh, 
Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, I was interested as I was working on your article that almost all the titles that you've uh, you were discussing are books that we read in Well Read Mom. I do a lot of work with that group. Um, basically, their mission is to uh, get women reading together very fine, very difficult uh, literature for how it helps to form a Christian imagination. You know, mm. why is it important for us? Getting back to your initial question to your students, you say, you know, why are we here? Why is it important for us to read this great literature in light of this new transcendent peace that Christianity introduces? You know, what does that do to make us either more human or, or maybe more divine? You know, I don't know. Right. It's, it's a, it's a big, big question. Part of the answer seems to me is that um, we learn and grow as people by, in, by accumulating these stories or narratives or myths yeah. about, about ourselves and about humans, about human nature, about human life in general. Um, I mean, Aristotle way back when said that uh, humans are myth-making animals, basically. Mm. We can't not <laughs> weave stories and and we're hungry for them, you know. I mean, I've got a bunch of little kids and they just devour stories. Mm. Uh, and we, we, no, we, don't, we don't have a choice about that. The question is whether we're, we're taking in good stories right. or What you populate your imagination with is really That's important. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's going to be populated with something. Yes. And so the question is, um, will you, will you uh, take in narratives that illuminate what it means to be a human person or <laughs> narratives that maybe obfuscate or... Right. or uh, drive, drive away from that. And, and I think to your question, uh, you know, can, can good stories make us more divine? I mean, I think you've got to be careful there. I, I think that great literature can't make us more <laughs> divine necessarily. But mm -hmm. I think in, clar in, clarifying what it, in clarifying what it is to be human, it can help prepare the path or provide a path um, for becoming more divine. Because I think really when we, when we, as we become more and more fully human, that, that, that is our path towards becoming divine, you know, towards divinization. Um, of course, no one would say that good stories will make us right. do, those, do those things, but they can yeah. clarify the path. As the founding program of the Catholic Studies Movement in Higher Education, St. Thomas Catholic Studies is internationally recognized for its integrated, Christ-centered approach to exploring 2,000 years of Catholic thought and culture. We provide a range of undergraduate and graduate programs, as well as professional development opportunities, all to help you integrate faith into your academic and professional pursuits Catholic intellectual exploration or career preparation? Choose both. Visit stthomas.edu backslash catholic studies to learn about our online, on-ground, and hybrid educational options so you can learn and grow wherever you need to be. 
Deep Down Things is part of the Catholic Answers family of podcasts. For lots more great Catholic radio and podcast programming, please download the Catholic Answers Live app. I was just thinking about, you know, much contemporary literature, especially fine literature or uh, mm. literary literature, mm-hmm. seems to me goes in a kind of heretical direction. You talk about the fact that the, the Incarnation almost kind of invents for us the, the understanding of the inner life. Much of the literature of the last century has gone in a direction in which the inner life is explored, but it's without that exterior context. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Popular hmm. literature often goes in the other direction. We have lots of exciting things happening, but you don't get the sense that, that the people are real. Um, you know, <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, you know, and, and of course, everybody likes a beach read, but you know, what are some examples, do you think, of, of great Catholic works of literature that combine, the, combine both the, the plot that gives us a sense that, that our own history is within the, the bigger picture and, uh, and characters whom we understand as mysterious and are, are more than what they seem? Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I had great news that, they're, that we're in the midst of some big revival right now. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do hear word of some good writers mm. working today, but I, <laughs> part, of, part of it is that I don't really read a lot of, uh, I don't read a whole lot of contemporary literature. Yeah. Um, it's not really my, my job description. <laughs> right. And my, my wife, who reads constantly, has much better read in contemporary literature than I am. But... Um, and, and I think I would also say that I, I guess I don't want to I, I, I don't want to too carefully uh, rule out authors who are non-Catholic. Because, sure. Oh, of course. I think because so, I think some sometimes Catholic writers can, um, with very good intentions, be too too formulaic and, and can and have heavy handed. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Their yeah. doctrinal yeah. Uh, commitments can sometimes lead them uh, to, to miss certain basic things about humanity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they could just end up not having fully realized characters. Now that's it. That's it. Um, some, some figures that I do really like along the lines you were just uh, mentioning. I mean, I, I like, I like and am more familiar with earlier 20th century writers that you guys probably talk a lot about, like, um, you know, Graham Greene and Evelyn Waugh, people like this. Um, I've read a little bit of people, uh, authors like uh, Alice Thomas Ellis. Yeah. And and some of my my good friends uh, recommend her very strongly. Um, Some other recent authors that are... um, that are that are not Catholic, but our fellow travelers in some ways are uh, people like Penelope Fitzgerald, who was a British novelist who yes. died recently. Um, she was the, I believe she was the niece of Ronald Knox. Actually. She was indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that that my whom, my whom my wife loves and is is trying to get me to read right now is 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 a Canadian author named Alice Munro. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there. There are actually a number of others as well that have led me, you know, I, I don't, I'm not despairing about the presence of good 
realistic characters and plot and plots that ha that present both like this kind of, these ideal ideals of it that, that, that pursue these ideals of intelligibility and mystery that I mentioned here yeah. they're not all Catholic um, I think one of the good things that I that I take hope in is that um, in spite of some of the bad theories of human nature that we have <laughs> being taught in the schools um, and in spite of uh, like the dearth of of uh, depth that you mentioned in in you know, pot boiler, pop fiction, um, that there are certain, there's, there still is a hunger for, for depth and people still do turn to these great stories. I mean, Jane Austen is still really popular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and other novels that I mentioned in the, in the book, yeah, I mean, George still... Eliot, you mentioned uh, Middlemarch, I believe. Uh, yeah, George Eliot and Dickens. Yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, Dickens still sells a lot of books in spite of the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the enormous page counts, um, which you would think um, our our uh, minuscule attention spans wouldn't be able to, to, to withstand. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I, I think there's still a great hunger and that that a lot of the a lot of the the best books of the last hundred years have really pursued these ideals that I mentioned. You know, even yeah. even inside and out of outside of the Catholic yeah. mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. faith, and and so people still are still going back to those, and so you still have these ideals coming out in in contemporary fiction, in in spite of all of the. <laughs> yeah. all of the emptiness that's there as well. What do you think it is when you when you find when you find a great piece of fiction? Uh what do we expect out of a great character? Um you know I mean yeah, I think about many of them we we think of them as funny. Uh you know I mean one of the things you might say is we expect a character who's somewhat unexpected. Uh mm. is that fair to, fair to fair to say? Yeah. I that's a good question. I I I feel like I think we want to we want to feel that they're um, that a they that they're they have something at stake yeah. um, that they have something to lose that that they have a journey to follow that that they don't necessarily completely understand but they have an inkling of it yeah um, you know that they have a path of becoming they need to be they need to become somebody that they're not right now mm -hmm. and that they have something at stake there that they that they're pursuing you know that's I think in a way the most basic fact about all of us human beings is we all feel like I got to I got to get to the version of myself that is whom I meant who I'm meant to be you know yeah where I'm I'm trying to become somebody and I'm not there right now people of all walks in life feel that I think and we want to see characters who I think who uh also in some sense have that drama and, and and feel that and are are going somewhere uh and and they're trying to make sense of their life trying to get there yeah. um however partially and fallibly and yeah um i think that's a big part of it um i think the humor <laughs> uh things like things like humor and and taste and style i think all of that's important but that can all wax and wane and and have you know nu numerous differences and yeah 
I think of like Kristen Lovren's daughter. Oh yeah, uh, Sigrid Unset's great. You know, four four volume uh, mm-hmm. novel series, and it's not funny, haha, necessarily, all the way through. But it's uh, it's one that you uh, you know, as you say, we see somebody on a path, and it's not an easy path, mm-hmm. and it's not exact. It's not completely predictable, uh, but it's it's moving towards something that is redemption, but not redemption on the cheap. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, no, I think that people people resonate with that that story so deeply because uh, there's just that profound Augustinian desire mm-hmm. um, for, like I said, it's the desire for God ultimately, but a desire that yeah. is complex and various enough that it can be it can lead through all of the differences of every human life in a different way you know mm-hmm. and taste different in uh in Kristen Lovren's daughter's life than it does in my life or your mm-hmm. life or t- it, it has a, its own uh shades of difference and delight and darkness and danger and excitement in, yeah. in every life and I just think we're never done with thirsting for those those stories. And to borrow your own phrase, I think the genius in Unset's Chris and Lavren's daughter is exactly what you say, this unfolding of loves, the unfolding mm-hmm. of all the many kinds of loves that she encounters throughout her life, all of which are a reflection on this deep desire that she has for God that uh, uh, sets her off chasing. Erland and then the seven kids and, you know, eventually ending up in, in religious life. It's all that love's unfolding. I, I, I think that's part of what captivates you in Oh, in yeah. Book. Oh, definitely. And, and I just think there's, that it's, it's a universal, mm-hmm. universal desire to have love be at the center of our lives. Mm-hmm. And it, it is at the center of our lives. And to, to see somebody else who's who's really living that and trying to pursue it and botching it, yes. <laughs> enormous yes. enormously, yeah. But 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 not letting it go. Yes. Um, Going back to Aristotle, I mean, do you think? I mean, from an Aristotelian point of view, maybe it would have made more sense for her to have this this flaw of self, you know, of sort of self selfishness and then you know at the end she dies or something like that um but you know it's that unexpected nature that she's in a bigger history and there's there's more to her and even you know more to her inner life than just simply a tragic flaw there's a, there there is a love that needs to be enkindled that's right no and and the question the christian question is um what will what will become is is how will we actually respond to our tragic flaws, mm-hmm. <laughs> which which yeah, are there in every great. life mm-hmm. and in every person? Yeah. And the question is, uh, will you turn from that, you know, deeper into privation and into the the darkness of your own sin, or or will you, or will you pursue it out of your out of yourself, so to speak? In, into into God. I mean, of course, in a way, it's deeper into yourself. It's where God is. But but uh, you know, which way will you take mm-hmm. it? Um, and mm-hmm. in the end, you know, the only tragedy right. um, is not to be a saint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You uh, yeah. I mean, you brought up 
Jane Austen, I mean, I think about that with many of her characters. They, they, they seem set on a path. They have flaws. They have weaknesses. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but many of them end up sort of overcoming them. And even if it's not an explicitly Catholic vision, I think there is a, there is a Christian vision there uh, that, that is only possible with the incarnation. No, I, I agree. I, I think, I think uh, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I think part of why Jane Austen's stories, and, and I would say in general, the 19th century marriage plot, which is at the heart of yeah. so many novels from that period, mm-hmm. um, part of why it's so human and I think also so Christian is it, again, places the pursuit of love and spousal love at the heart of the, uh, at the heart of the human story and um you know that's just not something that you would that you really saw at at the heart of um most classical stories of course there are marriages and there are there is the desire for love still there but it's not perceived as the story <laughs> right mm-hmm. in the same way um and i think at at the heart of it is that yeah again the the desire for the desire for love is what most defines us and actually in a mis- mystical way the desire for for marriage which ultimately points beyond human marriage yes. uh, uh to the dis- desire for di- for the divine spouse uh is is really there what uh, if you were to if you were to recommend some things to think about this the difference that the incarnation makes um what what would you recommend uh reading on this Oh gee, I think the the Confessions by Saint Augustine mm-hmm. has clarified it more for me than a yeah. lot of a lot of other things that I've read. Um, another thing I would recommend, if you read the first chapter or two of Eric Auerbach's book called Mimesis. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a very long book. And not all of it is necessary to read to really get this, but it's a deep reflection on, on uh, the way that I mean, this is really fascinating. He was a Jewish um, scholar okay. from the 20th century, but he was really fascinated with the way that uh, Christian reflection on the incarnation had changed our sense of human nature and therefore literary character. I mean, it's very important <laughs> for my argument, actually. Yeah, and I think very illuminating. I mean, he has these beautiful reflections on how you would never have a character like Saint Peter in the Gospel, who is just a poor, illiterate fisherman. Uh, yeah, who whose drama actually comes to really matter. You know, when he when he denies our Lord uh, there in the courtyard at the end of the Gospel, and this is this enormous moment which we can all see ourselves in, that's just a kind of moment that you don't ever get in right. classical stories. And, and Auerbach is just astounded at this and sees everything, see, sees Western literature flowing out of that. Um, mm. these, these little nobodies, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. their stories matter now because Jesus makes everyone matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> long story short, Eric Auerbach, Mimesis, is yeah. a really really good book on this too. Well, I think that's a that's a great point to end on. Uh, the, the incarnation changes our way of thinking about, about stories and about characters. And, and one of the biggest ways is that it expands our understanding of, 
of who can be a main character. Uh, and indeed, we all can, because the incarnation is, is the place where Christ took on human nature. And that's, that's what the Logos is all about, uh, being incarnate. Amen. Dwight, what do you have uh, planned? Are you working on anything new now? I am, actually. This, this article is part of a, a book that I'm working on. And so I'm, I'm developing my own literary theory, essentially, yeah. which is... I mean, this article lays out um, a big part of it. The question is just, you know, um, how does how does um, how does the incarnation affect our expectations of literature? I, I, I looked at a few parts of it here, but I'm I'm developing that That's further. Nice. That's fantastic. We hope you'll keep us in mind uh, with with future works. Thank you. Thank you, Dwight. We've been here with Dwight Lindley, professor of English at Hillsdale College and the author of Intelligibility and Transcendence and Narrative in the Spring Issue of Logos. Thank you for listening to Deep Down Things. We hope that you'll check out the show notes. You'll be able to see all of those interesting books and topics that we've been talking about. And we hope that you'll uh, become a patron at patreon.com backslash deepdownthings. Thank you and God bless.